Well, if you have ever been into a TV show that had many seasons, you probably know that feeling when the show is coming to an end. And it's kind of mixed emotion, right? On one hand, all these long storylines are coming to their conclusion, and so there's a lot of closure, and so there's a lot of us saying, ah, yes, that feels good. But at the same time, you're saying goodbye to these characters that you have known over the course of many seasons, and so it's good, but it's also hard as well. And we're in the part of Genesis that is like that right now. There are many long story threads that are coming to their conclusion now. We're going to see today a father and son that have been separated for 20 years, reunited and weep together as they're reunited. There's that kind of closure in stories like this. We're going to see a lot of those threads tied up today and in the coming weeks as well. And at the same time, we're saying goodbye to characters that we've been with for quite a while. It's been almost a year that we have been talking about Jacob, and we've gotten to know him pretty well, and we're starting to say goodbye to him. And several months we've been talking about Joseph, and we've gotten to know him pretty well, and we're saying goodbye to him. They have much help left to give us in the Christian life. And today what they're going to help us with is when we get to that phase of our own lives where the show is ending and things are winding down— can we look back on years that God has given us, if he gives you many years, with thankfulness for everything he's given us, saying, that was a good life. Thank you, Father. Or will we look back with bitterness over what we didn't get? We're going to see today one of, one of the main characters in the story look back over 130 years of God's blessing, but he won't look back thankfully. He'll look back with bitterness over what he didn't get and over what he had and what he lost. And so we're going to see that and we're going to ask ourselves, okay, how do I not become like that? How do I be the person that even if I die young, I can look back and say, that was good, Father, thank you. How can I, how can I live in happiness and contentment today and not fall to the bitterness that this character falls to? We're going to look at that today and several other things. Uh, that will be the main one, though. So we're going to pick up at Genesis 46, verse 28. We have quite a long reading today. And that is because we are in a section that picks up on many themes we have talked about before. So we're going to breeze through a lot of stuff in this chapter and a little bit more. And we're going to focus on Jacob's words to Pharaoh. So when we get to Jacob's coming before Pharaoh, that's when you really want to lean in. Here's Genesis 46, starting at verse 28. Uh, let me give you the context first, actually. Sorry, I just faked everybody out. Okay, so there has been a, a separation. Je, uh, Joseph has been separated from his father Jacob for a little more than 20 years. And now they are being reunited. Joseph has been uh, the head of Egypt for a long time now. Jacob thought he was dead, but now he gets to go and see his son. They're going to be reunited, and then Joseph is going to host them in Egypt for a long time. Okay, this time I'm not faking you out. Let's really read it. Here we go. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. To show the way before him in Goshen. And when they came to the land of Goshen, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. 
Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up to Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock." Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, the best of the land, and the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his brother, sorry, his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land. For the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the herds and the livestock are all my Lord's and there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And with our land, we will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may not die and that, we may li- and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was so severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. 
As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the others. Only the land of the priests did he not buy, for the priests had fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves, and for your household, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that the Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred and forty-seven years. And when the time drew near that Jacob must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I've now found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. And promise to deal kindly and surely with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed. We're focused this morning on two works I think the Spirit is pleased to do in our hearts this morning through this text. First, through Jacob's words to Pharaoh, he warns us not to set our heart on earthly blessings by showing us the bitter end of doing that. And then later, by Jacob's actions and his words there with Joseph at the end, he shows us where to place our hope. So we're getting a, a two-sided coin this morning, a warning not to set our hearts on earthly blessings. And the answer to the question, well, if I don't set my heart there, where should I set my heart? So as I said earlier, we're in a section now where the author is tying up many loose ends. There are many threads that we have already talked about and so don't need to talk about anymore. So for much of this chapter and a half or so, I'll just walk you through what's going on and we'll leave it there. But we'll slow down at two points when Jacob talks to Pharaoh and when Jacob talks to Joseph at the end. So the story opens up with Jacob and his family journeying to Egypt. Seventy people are going across the river there, entering into Egypt, and they're going to live there for a time. He sends Judah, one of his sons, ahead of the party to greet Joseph, tell them that they're here, and then guide the way. That is very significant in the overall arc of the story. If you've been following along for several weeks, you know a little bit about Judah's character arc. He was once a very terrible person and terrible leader. The Lord changed his heart and he became very sacrificial. Now we are seeing that Jacob trusts Judah again and is honoring him as the leader in the family, sending him ahead of the group to go and see Joseph. There's also some beautiful irony there. Many years ago, Jacob sent Joseph to where Judah was, and Judah's actions there separated Jacob and Joseph, father and son, for 20 years. That was when Judah had Joseph sold into slavery. Now the reverse is happening in every way. This time, Jacob is sending Judah to Joseph, not Joseph to Judah, but Judah to Joseph. 
because Judah's actions this time have reunited father and son after 20 years. So there's a beautiful poetic ending tying of the bow there that Judah is back in his father's good graces. He's a good man now, a good leader, and worthy to be trusted. So we get some of that ending of the show resolution, and it feels good. I'll leave that there because we've talked about Judah a lot, and we will again in a future sermon. After that, Jacob and Joseph are finally reunited. He thought his son was dead for 20 years, and now he wraps his arms around him. They weep on each other's neck for a good while, and Jacob essentially says, now I can die happy because I thought you were dead, but I have seen your face. So it's deeply touching, deeply moving, a serious moment in the story. After this, Joseph presents his plan to have them settle in the land of Goshen on the outskirts of Egypt. And the idea is, tell them you're shepherds, then they'll give you the good land for shepherding, and that's out on the outskirts of Egyptian territory. It's not in the thick of things. This is because Joseph doesn't want them incorporated into the heart of Egyptian culture. He wants them to stay on the edge of things and stay separated. That is because they have confidence that God is going to take them out of the land and put them back in their promised land. So for Joseph even to say, let's find a way to settle in Goshen, to settle on the outskirts, this is one way of him exercising his faith, saying, because we know that God has promised we won't be here in Egypt forever. We don't need to incorporate in this culture. One day God is going to take us out again. We'll pick up on that toward the end of the sermon today, but for now, just leave that there. Hang on to that, and remember, Joseph is exercising faith and hope in God's promise there. Now we get to the part where we're going to slow down today. Jacob goes before Pharaoh. Now, when you are with someone, and it's kind of a, you know, fancy situation, and you want to honor them, Uh, You might find something really good and honorable about them and ask them about it. So you might say something like, now you won an award recently, didn't you? Tell me about that, right? Now they get to talk about something good about themselves. You're honoring them by saying that. In ancient culture, living a long time was one of the most honorable things you could have. If, If God really liked you, he would give you many years. If you got more than 80 years, God must really like you. And so the way that Pharaoh honors Joseph is he leans in and says, now just how old are you? Because he can tell that Jacob is an old man, right? Jacob's answer is, uh, I've lived to be 130. I'm 130 years old. Now we would expect him after that to maybe respond the way that Joseph had responded earlier when he went before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to him, I've heard it said that you can interpret dreams. Can you interpret dreams? And Pharaoh says, or Jacob says, Joseph, goodness, I can't get my name straight. Joseph says, it's not me, it's, it's the Lord who can give a favorable answer. We might expect that Jacob here would say, well, it's not me who has done this. The Lord has given me long life. We might expect that he would give praise to God. We might expect a number of things. We don't expect what he says. In front of Pharaoh and everyone, he complains bitterly. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my sojourning. 
And with that, a fuse that has been going for a long time finally explodes. See, ever since he thought that Joseph, his son, died, Jacob has been a bitter old man. When he thought Joseph had died, he wept and mourned for a long time. All his sons and daughters rose to comfort him, and it said he refused to be comforted. He said, no, I'll go down to my grave mourning. All those sons and daughters did nothing for him. And then later he is shown berating his son, saying, why are you guys standing around there doing nothing? There's no food. Go and get food. So we see how he treats and talks to his sons. And then they go and they get the food and they come back and he's berating them again. You've bereaved me of one son and now you want to bereave me of another son. He's become a bitter old man. And that fuse has been burning and burning and burning. We have seen it until now. In front of Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's courts, he laments, few and evil have been my days. Jacob has been the kind of person for his whole life who has reached and grabbed for the things that he wants. His name, Jacob, means heel grabber, and he came out of the wound grabbing his brother's heel, right? Many of you remember that. And he set his heart on a few earthly blessings, all of which he got. He wanted his father's inheritance. And so he schemed and schemed and schemed to get it. And and then he set his heart on a woman named Rachel. He wanted to marry her. And he schemed and schemed and and then he got her. And then when he lost Rachel, she died in childbirth, he set his heart on his son, Joseph. Uh, whatever, whatever he set his heart on, he would get, but it would always come with great hardship. And then eventually, he would lose it. In fact, when he gained the inheritance, he schemed so much to be his father's heir that it put a rift between him and his brother, and he had to run for his life. The day he got the inheritance, He had to leave it all behind and run away because his brother wanted to kill him. So so a good thing came to him, but much hardship with it. And then while he was gone, he set his sights on Rachel. And uh, in order to get her, he had to serve as a slave for, for seven years. And then he got tricked into marrying another woman, too, and got in this whole thing. And, and so, so much hardship came with the good thing. And then he had to serve for another seven years after that. Uh, he gained much wealth during that time, but all under the hard hand of a master named Laban. And then finally he left, and his dear wife, Rachel, that he loved, flees from him and dies giving birth and then he sets his heart on Joseph and loses Joseph as well so for him the the fact that he's gotten everything he's wanted but it's come with hardship and it's also been fleeting it has left him bitter the fact that the blessings came but then the blessings left made him feel like the days were few, even though we got 130 years. And the fact that the blessings came with hardship made him feel like the days were evil, even though he had so much, 70 descendants traveling with him and great wealth, so much that he had. And so he is then a picture for us of what the sage in Ecclesiastes is teaching, that 
life is good, but it comes with vexing hardship, and it's fleeting. In fact, every good blessing on this world in this life is good, but it comes with a mixture of hardship, and it's fleeting. And so Jacob looks back on a life like this where he has set his heart on that inheritance and on that wife and on that son and either gained them with great hardship or lost them. And he says, my days have been few and evil. So the principle under the lesson here is that life's blessings come with hardship and then they flee. The things you're chasing after, you may get them, you may not get them. But if you get them, they will come with hardship and then they will flee. And the teaching here, what the Spirit, I think, is emphasizing here is that setting your heart on a few earthly blessings like that leads to bitterness because they are fleeting and they come with hardship. And so the warning then is don't set your heart on a few blessings in this life. Don't pick a few things like we're prone to doing and say, I have to have this thing. If you do, that's a recipe for the bitterness of Jacob. That's a recipe for looking back on life and saying, these days have gone by too quickly and they have been too evil. Few and evil have been my days. And when you think about it, every blessing in life really is that way. Uh, My family just went camping and it was great. Life's blessings are good and sweet, and they come with hardship, and then they're gone. That's how they all work. And camping like that, it was just like that for us. We woke up in the morning, and the sun was shining, and it was beautiful, and we were out on the trail hiking and happy by 7.30 in the morning. Can you imagine? It was incredible. We're walking through the woods, and we had a great time. It was, it was good, and it was sweet. It was also hard. We slept on the ground, who does that? And, and we woke up shivering, and my back hurt, and my wife had a crick in her neck. Uh, it, it, and it was also fleeting, right? We were packing up, and my wife said, boy, that went by quickly. I just, you know, it's there, and then it's gone, right? All life's blessings are like that. They're good, but they come with a mixture of hardship, and then they're gone. If the Lord gives you a, a good marriage with a, with a faithful spouse, a happy, healthy marriage, and you make it all the way to the end, uh, the one of you that survives in the end will look back and say, that was good, and that was hard, and it went by too quickly, right? Every blessing is like that, good but comes with hardship and fleeting. If you get your dream job, it'll be good. And it'll also be hard. You know, the boss won't be perfect and the machinery won't work perfectly all the time. And the people you work with, there might be drama among them. And then one day you'll either quit or you'll get fired or you will retire and the dream job will be gone. If the Lord gives you children, it'll be good. It's one of the greatest joys in my life. And it'll be hard. You will change so many diapers, right? And then one day they'll grow up and move out and you'll say, that went by way too quickly. What some of you tell me, right? Savor it up. 
because it goes by too quickly. There is not a blessing in this world that isn't like that. They're all good. They all come with a mixture of hardship, and they're all fleeting. And so, if you pick one of those and set your heart on it, if you say, I have got to have my dream job, I have to make partner in the law firm, I have to get MD after my name, you may get it or you may not get it, and if you do, it will come with hardship and then it will be gone and it will leave you bitter. Or if you set your heart on on a really happy, romance-filled marriage. Some people, when we're young and single, we look and say, I just want to marry a godly person and have so much joy and happiness with them and just song of Solomon level happiness. Grab me by the hand, my love, and let us run together, kind of happiness together. And maybe the Lord will give it, but it will come with hardship and then it will end. And so if you have set your heart on it, it will leave you bitter. And so the warning then is not to set our heart on a few of those blessings, not to pick a few and say, I've got to have those. In the book of Genesis, there's another tragic tale that gives the same warning. I think it's one of the most tragic tales in in the whole Bible. Um, And it's just a little bit before this. Uh, Jacob had a wife, Rachel. I told you a little bit about her. Uh, And uh, she saw her sister and others having children, and she was not bearing children. She was not getting pregnant. She was getting upset about it. And she set her heart on it, and she wanted children, and the Lord just wasn't giving them. And by the end of it, she grabs her husband, Jacob, and at least as I read it, screams at him, give me children or I shall die. And then, years later, She's giving birth to her second son, and she dies. I think one of the most tragic ironies in all of the Bible. In a cautionary tale, don't set your heart on one thing and say, I must have that one thing. That leads to the bitterness of Jacob that says, few and evil have been my days. So, You may be asking then, okay, well, what do I do with all these desires, right? I would like to be married. That would be nice. I would like this job. What do I do with, is it okay for me to want these things? And and the answer is yes. The, The way the Bible teaches us to handle our desires, if you want something good, you want a good marriage, you want children, you want a good job, you want a house, whatever it is. Uh, first, look to the Lord and ask the Lord for it. It's his providing hand that would give it to you. So ask the Lord for the things that you want. Don't sin to get it. If the Lord provides it, take it, but don't sin to get it. And uh, if he does, or, or if he does not give it to you, be content to say, it's okay if I don't get what I want. Now, contentment is not the lack of desire. To be content is to want something, but be okay not getting it. So the lesson here is not that you should not want to get married or should not want to have a house or should not want these things. The lesson is if the Lord doesn't give it to you, we must have a content heart that says, it's okay if I don't get what I want. So if you don't have the thing you want, ask the Lord for it. Don't sin to get it. Be content if he does not give it to you. If you do have the thing that you want, the Lord gives it to you. Receive it with thanksgiving, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. It's the Lord that gave you that thing. So receive it and honor and praise him for it. And then hold on to it loosely. 
because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And every good thing that we have is going to go away. So receive it with thanksgiving and hold on to it loosely. On the other end, what if you had something you loved and you, and you lost it? It's good to grieve if you really loved it. If, that, if you spent 15 years with that dog and that dog dies, it's good to grieve. It's okay to grieve. Grieve and then let it go. Right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and the Lord's name is blessed. So that's how we do handle our desires. Now, the question that remains is, okay, so I'm, I can't set my heart on anything in the world. Like, are you telling me, Dave, that I should not set my heart on anything under the sun in this world? And yes, that is what I'm telling you. There is absolutely nothing in this world willing, that you should be willing to set your heart on. So then, then you might ask, well, where do I set my heart, right? Like, what do I hope in? What do I long for? What do I do with all these desires that are burning in me? Is there any point to that? And that's what we're going to get to at the end here. First, we'll walk quickly through Joseph's display of wisdom and power. Uh, Joseph uh, makes an arrangement. The first year, or it's probably the third or fourth, fifth year of this famine, they come back to him. And they say, we are out of money. And so he sells them grain in exchange for their livestock. And then in the next year, sells them grain in exchange for their their land. So he buys for Pharaoh literally all of Egypt. Pharaoh just owns the whole thing. Which is strange because the people already considered themselves Pharaoh's servants anyway. And they already considered the land to be Pharaoh's possessions Anyway, and so it's a little strange that it's like that, but the point of it is that Joseph has, through his wise leadership and his shrewdness, gained dominion over every last square inch of Egypt. Like he is in total control of Egypt because he's a wise and smart leader. This picks up on what we have seen earlier in Joseph. He was one that was filled with the spirit of wisdom and led with wisdom. So that contributes to points that have been made in previous sermons. So we go through that and then we see the end of Jacob's life. And the next several chapters tell us of the last words of Jacob. It begins in verse 29. It has come time for him to die. He calls his son Joseph. Seventeen years have gone by since he stood before Pharaoh and said, Few and evil have been my days. And we learn here where he has learned to place his heart. He says, Son, if I found favor in your sight, put your hand on my thigh and promise to deal kindly. This is how they made oaths back then. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my father's. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me into their burying place. So he essentially has his son Joseph promise that after he dies, he's not going to bury him in Egypt. He's going to carry him back to Israel, what we call Israel, they call Canaan, the promised land that God was going to give them. This is one more act of faith and hope for Jacob. He knows we're going to leave this land of Egypt. We're going back to the promised land. And he says, son, I don't want my body, I don't want my bones buried here in Egypt. I want you to bury him back in the land that God promised us. So with one of his last acts, he shows us where his heart is now. His heart is back home, back in the thing that God had promised him. So he has for his whole life grabbed for everything 
that he wants. And now he looks to God's promises. God had promised, I will make your descendants a great nation. I will give them this land. And from them will come the mighty Savior King that the whole world is waiting for. And so now with his strength gone, his grip gone, he cannot grab for anything. He just bows his head and trusts God to keep his promises. There is where you can set your heart. The mighty promises of God. The greatest of which is Jesus Christ. And so that's the other point today. Only God's promises are worth setting your heart on. And the greatest of them is Jesus Christ. So God had promised him that his descendants would be a great nation. They would hold that land there and from them would come the mighty Savior King who we know to be Jesus. He has promised to us if we would put our trust in him, those of us that trust him, our sins are forgiven and he is going to come for us to make this world new, to raise us from the dead and live and rule here with us forever. We have that promise that we are waiting on. And so many people will say, son, as I am dying, put these words of hope on my tombstone, right? Because we are dying with our hearts set on him keeping his promise. That promise then we look to and we say the greatest part of it is Jesus himself. And there is something that does not fade. There is something that I can receive by grace alone and I can enjoy with all I have and know that it is never going to be taken from me. And so Jesus says then, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be added unto you, right? The house you want, the car you want, the the marriage you want, the children you want, the things you want for your children. They're all just add-ons to the kingdom of God that has been given you for free. This is why Jesus can say elsewhere, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where the rust will destroy and the moth will eat it and thieves will break in and steal it. Everything you have here is fleeting. No, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth doesn't eat and the rust doesn't destroy and the thief doesn't break in and steal. If you set your heart there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're setting your heart on something that cannot fade and something that can never be taken for you. What's more, something you can be confident you will receive when all the things that you're looking for today, you can't even be confident you'll receive them in the first place. It's why Colossians later will say to take our minds off of the things of earth and set our minds on the things of heaven where Christ dwells. We have blessings there that can't be taken. So if you set your heart there, then you can look back on a short or long life and say, that was sweet. I didn't deserve a day of that. Boy. Oh, remember that one time? With, oh, remember that. And then we can look back with sweetness in our hearts. There is no part of that heart that receives so much from the Lord and is looking forward to hope in heaven and then here on earth again after the resurrection that looks back and says, oh, how few and how evil have those days been. So if God's promises are worth setting our heart on and the greatest of them is Jesus Christ, Uh, Let's just consider how Joseph has pointed us to Jesus and, and what we have 
in him. Uh, We saw Joseph betrayed by his envious brothers and sold for silver. And that pointed us to our Lord who came to earth knowing that his Jewish brothers in leadership, the scribes, the Pharisees, would be envious of him and would hate him. And that one of his own brothers and disciples would sell him for silver. And we just opened our eyes in amazement to say this Lord would do this willingly for us. That Jesus is yours forever, Christian, and no one can take him from you. And we saw of Joseph that the Lord was with him. The Spirit of God rested upon him and blessed everything that he did. And that pointed us to the way that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon Jesus Christ and blessed everything he did. He could heal people by this magnificent power. He was able to even raise someone from the dead. He taught with authority everything he touched. He blessed with power because the Lord was with him. I know you have longed for a leader, for a teacher, for a pastor who had that kind of power to lead. Do you know that you have one in Jesus Christ and he can never be taken from you? We saw Joseph flung into a pit and then very suddenly raised up out of it and given lordship over everyone. And that pointed us to our Lord who sunk down into the pit of death, but very suddenly was lifted out of it and set over top of everyone, given lordship over all. And do you know, Christian, that that Jesus is yours forever and no one can take him from you? We saw just two or three weeks ago that Joseph not only forgave his brothers, but he, but he reconciled with them with his arms around each one of them and wept for joy over each one of them. And that pointed us to the, to the delight and smile that our Lord has, the tears of joy that he has at reconciling with you and being reunited with you one day. That Jesus, that, that face that you'll be able to see the expression of, he's yours forever, Christian, and no one can take it from you. In him, You have forgiveness for your sins. They will never haunt you again once you are with him forever. In him, we have face-to-face fellowship with God. You will see the face of God, and you'll see the expression on the face of God as he sees you. We will have wisdom from everything from how to grow plants in that kingdom to how culture works and all the stuff we're trying to research. You'll have wisdom flowing down from Mount Zion, from Jesus Christ to you, everything we have ever wanted to learn, and we will have it forever. And we will enjoy all of this in a good land that produces for thousands and thousands of years in a culture that is vibrant and just and beautiful with friends who have also been redeemed. And none of that will ever be taken from us. So you can live without that other thing. And you can look back and say, the days were good and I have good things coming for me. Let me close by talking to any of you who are here today and and are not a Christian. You don't know Jesus Christ. You don't believe in him or have faith in him and his resurrection and his death. Everything I've said today so far is for those of us who who trust in Jesus for Christians and that Jesus is theirs and is ours forever. And what I would like you to know is that he can be yours too. In fact, he offers himself freely to anyone who would receive him. 
the story of the gospel is this. This Jesus, our God, came to earth and lived without sin, died a death, a criminal's death, a sinner's death, and then rose from the dead. And he did that to offer payment for the sins of all who would trust him, everybody here even who trusts him. And he rose from the dead to guarantee life and resurrection for anyone who would trust him. And he is king over all, and you can receive him and have him even now just by trusting him and all that he is. You can have him as forgiver of your sins, king over your life, guarantor of your eternal life and resurrection from the dead, and so much more. We have him, and we celebrate him. And I invite you, would you receive him too, and would you have him too? Let's pray together.